Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, what is going on, people? Good to have you on board. You know that sound. It means the Unfiltered Band is back in the act, which means we are back together again for another episode of Unfiltered. It is episode 46. And thank you, Unfiltered Band. I'm entitling this one, One, Two, Three, Four, Pressure, like the Billy Joel tune. Hit a lot of things on today's show. Going to get into a little bit of NFL preseason, even wish a happy birthday, uh, even uh, perhaps get into um, some issues I'm, I'm having over the years in, in being a dog owner. There are many things that are on the docket. Who knows where it'll take me. Uh, I know where it's taking you, the Unfiltered Revolution. Jump on board. You can join the Unfiltered Revolution at Casey Stern. If you're on Twitter already, then you should jump in the Twitter bio and get over to my YouTube channel, subscribe, like all the videos, and get on board and be part of the revolution. The merch is coming. Unfiltered Revolution merch, working on uh, fax merch, working on are you serious merch? Are you serious? I am serious. Unfiltered Revolution, let's go. Episode 46, 1, 2, 3, 4, Pressure. And let's start uh, in the world of Major League Baseball and talk some Subway Series. Last time that the Mets and the Yankees got together, the Mets were able to sweep the Yankees in the two-game set. And this will be the next one here in the Bronx. Scherzer and DeGrom going uh, as I tape this podcast here before game one. It's really interesting because the last time that these two teams got together, it was the first time in the history of the Subway Series that in the regular season, these two teams had met during the Subway Series and were each in sole possession of first place in their divisions. This one is also going to be a first. This is the first one where there's a team of the two that everybody kind of trusts right now. No, that's not new. There's a team of the two that everybody kind of believes has a chance to win the World Series right now. That's not new. There's a team of the two that everybody believes playing kind of with house money a little bit in this two-game set, depending upon what the Braves do in their division now with a four-game lead NL East. That's not new, but all those things are usually the New York Yankees, not the New York Mets. Pressure on the Yankees, sure, always. Steinbrenner's, Yankee logo. It is, I mean, my God, you know, if you got a Red Sox nation, you got a, a universe of Yankee fans everywhere. It's always been that way. There's always the pressure, the money they spend, and everything else that they do. But... It, in the world of, of sports, the way that they're looked at right now, kind of the way the Mets are looked at, with the respect level that the Mets are being handed and deserved and earned with their most latest win, it just you know, think about how they closed out that series against Philadelphia and ended that season 14-5 and against the Phillies in their 19 games. Aaron Boone, uh, Booney slam at the desk. You've got Garrett Cole, uh, you know, threatening to fight. You've got all these different situations. The Yankees were able Thankfully for them and their fans, take a deep breath, get a win, that finale in that series against the Jays, and set themselves up here, now with an eight-game lead in the East over Tampa Bay and Toronto. But this isn't for the New York Yankees about winning an American League East. They already had pretty much been given and handed and had won months ago. This isn't for the New York Yankees about winning a division that everybody knew they were going to win. It isn't about being the team that, okay, if they're not as good as second best of the Houston Astros, best chance to knock them off. Not about that. 
It's about the last year of Aaron Judge. It's about the fact that they've played deplorably bad baseball for the most part. Certainly offensively, that's been the case now for months. It's about the fact that since the All-Star break, no bueno. Since the deadline, even worse. That you're getting the booing of Cashman and Steinbrenner, even at a ceremony where you're just basically congratulating Paul O'Neill for his career and his jersey retirement of the number 21. The only thing they've hit blackjack on is basically sticking up the joint while everybody talks about how great the Orioles have played and the Jays cut gaps and the Rays, and it could have been closer, right? Donaldson walk off. None of this is good. Playing bad baseball. Joey Gallo basically, you know, laughing at you at 14 and three, not just because of him, but playing great with the Dodgers. And, you know, your team went through a stretch at one point here, four and 14 and 18 game span. Not good. Now you get Scherzer and DeGrom. Not good. Now you get the Mets at home, where if you lose, it's worse than it was the last time. For the way the Yankee fans going to look at it, not worse. One, two, three, four. Pressure on the New York Yankees in this series. Book it. Pressure on the Yankees in this series. You don't make too much over two games. They're going to win this division anyway. I said this the other day. Big problem with the Yankees right now is that they can't win in October playing this kind of baseball. They can't win at a high level playing in this manner. But they're going to win the division. They're going to win the East. The Mets are going to have a tougher time. And a large part of that is that one of the best four teams in baseball, which the Mets are, one of the other three, they're defending champs and they're in their division. I said this yesterday on the pod, but look at the way the Mets and the Braves have played these other teams, including the Phillies, who played very, very good baseball since Joe Girardi left. Whether he was the reason or not, it just, it's what it, it, a number of things have taken place, but they play great baseball, except haven't beaten the Mets and really haven't beaten the Braves. For this series, this is really interesting because. The Yankees are kind of in a vice with their fans, despite having an eight-game lead. And even though, trust me, I'm the first person who, like, yeah, I mean, look, the A, the sky's always falling with, with Yankee fans. Yankee fans are always, they're like the most arrogant group of people until, like, you, you get them alone in private, they're like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Like, with each other, they're on the phone, they're on, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. This team sucks, Brian Cashman sucks, everything sucks, everything shit. I mean, they go crazy, Right. But then the first second you say anything bad about, like, the oh, uh, excuse me, you know how many rings I got, you know, whatever. Guess what? They're paranoid right now. Guess what? They're insecure right now. Guess what they should be? And play good baseball. You got to go out there and win. And for Booty, this is a difficult spot because you got the names. I want to hear, hear Brian Cashman's fault. By the way, people saying, oh, they hated the deadline. Look, I was here on this earth, and so were a lot of you. Brian Cashman got Ben Attendee. Oh, my God, it was so smart. And how quick he got him. Brian Cashman, they lost that on Castillo, but he went and, boom, next guy was Frankie Montas, who pitched in this two-game set, right? Look what he did in the bullpen, adding a controllable guy nobody even thought was available with the Cubbies in the mix. I want to hear it. And, and uh, Xing out the need for Joey Gallo at the time seemed great. Now, do you want to complain about it? Yankee, you're full of crap. Seriously. Everybody thought Brian Cashman had done a good job. Nobody thought he needed to do anything that great. Because everybody thought the team was kumbaya wonderful. And it's like you're just kind of tweaking something that's already good. Nobody was thinking, well, Christian Vasquez and Trey Mancini and the moves the Astros made, we're going to make them so, so much better spreading that gap over the Yankees. Nobody looked at it that way. And I don't even want to hear this garbage that you want to say that that's now what the case is. Because guess what? It's perception and reality. What matters is your perception at the time. It's like a trade, right? 
if a trade is supposed to go good and everybody thinks it's going to be great, and I've always brought up the signing of Robbie Alomar with my guy Steve Phillips, right? And everybody thinks it's a great thing. You can't then tell me because it doesn't work that it's the GM's fault and he stinks because that's garbage. We all would have made the move. It just didn't work out. Bad luck. All these other things, right? Well, guess what? Yankee fans and everybody across the board thought Brian Cashman had done a pretty darn good job. I don't care what you say. Go back, read your own tweets. The, the players are there on this team, people. The names are there. And, and that's everybody's fault. And Booney would be the first to tell you, and I know him, in taking his own responsibility for they he, he part of it, everybody part of it. Everyone's got to look in the mirror and say, what could we do? But it's so frustrating because they can't understand why the hell it's happening. That's why they're so ticked off. The names are in the room. I don't want to hear Brian Cashman's fault. Not Brian Cashman's fault. Grow up. Really. Are we serious? Seriously. Facts. I'm just dropping them. I feel like The Rock right now. Know your role. Jabroni Lane. Snackdown Hotel. It's like you just knock off all the... Okay. Prospects are cool. Parades are cooler. Get your t-shirts now. All right. Subway Series. One, two, three, four. Pressure. Cardinals were under some pressure going back a few weeks ago. Remember? How are they going to get better? Speaking of the Yankees, who thought the Jordan Montgomery deal was going to be so good for the Cardinals? Didn't really understand it from the Yankee perspective. Didn't think it was changing anybody's life with the Cardinals. But regardless of what moves they've made, what's changed has been two things. Number one, the Brewers hadn't played good baseball and were falling apart and blowing saves left and right. And Maybe that's why you don't give up Hader, who, by the way, has not been very good with San Diego either. <clears throat> but the other thing is that Paul Goldschmidt has gone on one of these goldie runs. I mean, if anybody looks at Paul Goldschmidt's career, how many years had he started where, like, April and May were just brutal? And then he puts in these amazing numbers the rest of the way. <coughs> Excuse me. It's happened plenty of times. I mean, this guy gets hotter than hot. But he's putting together a near-triple-crown campaign. He's got a chance to do it. He's going to win the MVP if the season ends today and deserves to in the National League. He's been, he's been brilliant. It's everything you want. It's the opposite of the whole Otani judge. What the heck are we going to do? Now I got a guy who's being the best player and been the best player in the league and been the best performer. Nolan Arenado reaping praise, a guy who knows about, a thing or two about being a high-level all-star and MVP candidate himself. Saying the other day, Goldschmidt's the best player in the game. Now, I don't know if I'm saying that, but he's certainly playing like the best player in the National League. The way he's played, he's been brilliant. Thing about Paul Goldschmidt that has always stuck with me is this guy is inwardly, in terms of his work ethic, as competitive as anybody you hear around the game when you talk to people around him. But because he doesn't like have that fiery jumping at, at you, scream at you kind of a thing, it's like you don't really feel it that way. But I'll give you a quick story. I remember being at Diamondbacks camp many years ago when he had really first you know, come on to be this kind of a player. And I don't remember what season it is. You can look it up. But there was one year he stole 15 bases. And I remember being in spring training the next year. And I was asking the coaching staff. I don't remember if it was on the air or off. But behind the scenes, just like about, you know, what, what is it that makes Goldschmidt great? And I was told a story, which I, I've, I've always like, you, know, you hear some of these things and they're like urban legend. And then, you know, you hear about a guy and you're like, I kind of get it. Like, I always tell the story because I was there firsthand. I was at... Jose Abreu's first ever time in the batting cage after he had come over and signed in spring training. And Avisail Garcia was hitting, I don't remember if it was right before or after him, but they were in the same group, right? And it may have been just the two of them. 
And nothing against Avisil Garcia, but here's a guy with power. There's all these media members there to see Jose Abreu. And Avisil Garcia is just pulling home runs all over the place, right? Out in Glendale. Here comes Jose Abreu, and like Paul Goldschmidt will do, and this wasn't the story I was going to tell about him, same way, in BP, he's spraying the ball around, hitting gap to gap, hitting the other way. He's a hitter with power. This was Jose Abreu's first chance to show off. And the reminder, it, honestly, the, it's an odd comp, but I'm going to explain. John Morant, who I love, and I've loved since day one, and I still mess around with people that I know from Turner who were in the room, and I was shouting out to them that this guy was going to be a, 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 the top guard in the game. When he was sitting there and his chance to, for the first time, be on that stage, and I was doing the tournament at the time, right? And he's on that stage. Go look at the numbers in that first national televised game. He had like 16 assists, scored a few points. He barely took any shots. He was trying to win the game. His chance to show off. I could put up 50, and he was man among boys there. He could have. Could have driven every time to the hole, gotten fouled a million times. We've seen it in the NBA. Certainly could have done it in college, right? Go look at the dudes in the numbers in the line. That's Abreu and Goldschmidt and the mentality of winning. But Paul Goldschmidt, the story that was told to me, was that he had asked for the videos of when he was caught. Now, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I maybe he's caught eight, nine times caught stealing. Maybe it was less than that. But he had asked for the video, like on his exit, on the way out for the offseason. Had a great year. He had asked for the videos of when he was caught stealing because he was angry at himself and he wanted to make sure going into next year that that didn't happen. And when he ran, he would be successful. That is a dude. That is how you win. That is work ethic. That's not this show me what you can publicly bullshit everybody does. That is absolutely real work ethic of trying to be a perfectionist and having a mama mentality for a guy who doesn't look at all like he's got that. That's what that is from that dude. Pretty impressive. But Goldschmidt's been amazing. Cardinals have been amazing. Mention the Braves. You know, the, the baseball's been like the have and the have-nots. And the Braves certainly have been on the have category. It's an unbelievable thing how great they've played. I mean, they've played great for three, four months. Austin Riley been great. You know, Swanson had you know his it, a, a real hot stretch during all of that, right? They've had you know guys kind of you know maybe some up and down, but the pitching has come together, and they they really have, you know Freed's been brilliant. They figured it out. I mean, even with the Ian Anderson ups and downs and some of the other stuff that's gone on, right? They bounce back from losing four or five to the Mets, and they come back and win three out of four. But this Ozuna thing, good for the Braves fans. You know what? I'm not going to sit here, and I've already argued in the past about all this Met fan nonsense. I'm going to sit here because I'm a Met fan. Yeah, I'm wearing a Met hat. It's a Subway Series tonight. Get over yourself. What do you, what do you think? I'm an idiot? Of course I am. Not, why am I doing Burger King Diet Coke if you're watching Which it, with my attire? Uh, I'm wearing a collared shirt because I had to wear it for something I was doing work-wise earlier today. And then as soon as I was like, oh, podcast, I'm like just element now. It's just me and you. I threw the hat on because this is how I feel, right? But I'm doing like Burger King Diet Coke with the like actually like all the way down except for a hat dressed up like, like I, you know, am dressed up for TV and I'm sitting here like with a hat on. But... I got a Met hat on. I get it. But you know what? I don't hate every Braves fan. I don't hate. I know a lot of them here in Atlanta that I'm friendly with, and it's cool. Good for you booing the hell out of this idiot. I'm Ozuna of the Braves. Are you serious? Are you serious? And you want to be my latex salesman? I mean, really? What a joke. Good for the Braves fans. Good for 
you. I don't know why the hell he was in the lineup, and I love Snit. Don't know what the hell he was doing in the lineup that soon after, but good for you, for the Braves fans. I was, I was proud to live in Atlanta when I heard that. Uh, if that makes me, like, eight Met fans go unfollow me, screw you, seriously. But I was proud of that. Good for you. Yeah. You know what I wasn't proud of as I shift gears? Being an NFL fan of the New York Giants and watching Kayvon Thibodeau go down for, first of all, how about is this Randy Moss's son, of all people? I didn't even realize that as I'm watching the play. But, you know, look, these cut blocks, these chop blocks, this is dirty play in a regular season. But there are times where it's like you kind of, I try and always say to people, like, I can't even imagine at the speed that these guys are playing, what it's like trying to change in that moment. Like, are they, are they not altering their bodies quick enough? Is it, you know, you're such in a mode of, I got to do anything I can. You can't be in that mode in the preseason. I'm sorry. And this is why NFL preseason is a bunch of garbage. This is why nobody wants to play in the preseason. This is why there shouldn't be a preseason. Have your scrimmages, practice, and get out on the field. Nobody wants to see. It's, it's not about, like, one team against another. First of all, there's a players association. Second of all, these guys don't want it done to them. They don't want to do it to somebody else either. You got a quarterback with the Jets, who certainly, I'm sure, wishes he was healthy. <coughs> but these scenarios where guys get hurt in preseason, this is why the NFL preseason, first of all, I don't even like watching spring training baseball, and I've admitted that forever. I don't want to watch the tight end where an 86 pitch the seventh inning. It means nothing to me. Unless the guy's new, first time on the team, or first spring training with a team if he's a young kid, right? Like, I'll watch that. I dig that. But I don't care other than that. And I'm worried about those guys getting injured. But the NFL preseason's a, a damn joke. I mean, it's ridiculous. As a Giant fan, I don't got much to root for, right? Tyrod Taylor may be the best quarterback on my team. That's a big enough problem. I can't watch Thibodeau play now for three, four weeks. Are you kidding? Thank God, because it looked way worse. For those who didn't see the play, go check it out. But I'm curious. NFL fans, at me at Casey Stern. Am I the only one? It's like, I love, fo I love football. <coughs> Excuse me. It's like any kind of football. Like, I'm in, right? Like, like jacked up. Let's go. But I don't want to watch even my own team play in the preseason because it's like, literally, you want to put the guys in bubble wrap. You're just praying no one gets hurt. Terrible. It's terrible that way. I don't want that. The NFL preseason is a damn joke anyway. I mentioned in a previous pod, Browning Nagel was, was undefeated in the postseason. Where are he at now? Go look up his numbers to do the Shaq thing. Who he play for? I mean, come on, man. I can't watch Thibodeau play now because of a, 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 a dirty play like that. Don't tell me it's not dirty. It's not cesspool dirty, but it's somewhere in a dirty swimming pool dirty. That's dirty play. And in the preseason, unnecessary. I mean, ridiculous, to be quite honest. Terrible to see that. That pissed me off. That bothered me. So, you know, the NFL, it's like, I'm excited for the season. We all got our fantasy football teams. We're all jacked up. But my God, can we stay healthy? <coughs> Let me shift gears to the NBA. Here's how the Kevin Durant situation is going as we speak. The Nets are trying to trade Kevin Durant as in optically as much as they possibly can for deals they're willing to take. Like, I will give you Kevin Durant, right? 
But I'm not going to give you Kevin Durant. We've talked about this on this pod. Great player, right? Upper level, all echelon Hall of Famer, great player, maybe the best player right now, all that, right? But if you can give me a dude back in the deal and give me a package, Nets standpoint. Now, I know they can't do this for KD reasons we'll get to in a second, but Nets standpoint, you give me a deal where it's like you give me the best you can, you give me somebody I could sell my franchise, uh, stay incredible with and contending, give me some picks to get billed in the future, get off some bad cats, all that stuff, then okay, I'll, I'll make you an offer. But I'm making you an offer you can refuse because I know that Kevin Durant's going to play. I don't care what the hell he says about retiring. He's trying to make me hate him so I get him the hell out of here. He's going to play. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and see what I can do to get a deal. And hey, KD, I'm doing what I can. Hey, fans, this is what we're stuck with. And hey, other teams, if you're willing to take the deal, let's do it. Let's go to KD's point. I'm going to piss you off to a point where literally it is like, you know, how to lose a guy in 10 days. Remember that movie? They are doing how to lose a Hall of Famer in 10 days, except he's the one trying to lose them. I'm going to tell you to fire the coach and the GM. They suck, even though I was fine with the GM and I'm the reason the coach is there in Nash in the first place. We all know it. Then... I'm going to tell you I'm going to retire so you're worried I won't even play and you'll get nothing for me instead of whatever minimal value. Then I'm going to sit there and I'm going to tell you you can only trade me to these places. Then I'm going to tell you the guys you can't even trade me for. I mean, it's asinine, the whole thing. And if Kevin Durant really hadn't done anything and was not doing all these crazy things, he wouldn't go on Twitter. And I don't mean one of his burner accounts, but his own Twitter Right? He wouldn't be doing that telling you, oh, it's comical, blah, blah, blah. Basically, you're guilty is what you're saying. So you're guilty? So you're guilty. Oh, you're guilty? I get it. So you're guilty of insecurity for sure. Plus, who knows what else? Yeah. Get it. Great player. Amazing player. Doesn't make any better. Not a winner. Complete pain in the ass. And now trying to get his, his ass thrown out of Brooklyn. Now what are the other teams doing? Well, I don't want any part of this. I don't even know if Katie wants to come here. I don't believe the Nets really want to trade him. So they're offering all these crazy things. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to lowball the Nets. I'm not even going to offer them a fair offer. There's no such thing probably as a fair offer for Kevin Durant anyway. But I'm not even going to offer them a fair offer. I'm going to lowball the crap out of them. Memphis. I'm not giving you. I'm not, clearly not Durant. Not John Durant. But I'm, I'm not going to give you uh, Morant. John Durant. John Durant. If you can combine KD. And John Morant, you'd have John Durant. He'd actually want to play and be like a mama mentality guy who wants to win and have all the talents of both. Sign me up for that. Nets could trade him. By the way, the Nets who like telling everybody, like, we're going to keep Kyrie. Like, why? Are you mental? The answer, nobody wants him. Nobody. Well, how bad do the Memphis, for example, want Kevin Durant? No Desmond Bain. In the deal, no, no Jaron Jackson Jr., clearly not John Morant. So take a couple of guys off the bench, and I'll give you a pick. Are you serious? But they don't believe the Nets are serious. They know KD's a mess. Kevin Durant is going to play for the Nets this season. Kevin Durant is going to be there with Kyrie. They're going to run it back because the Nets are going to force him to run it back. And by the way, Kevin Durant has forced himself into that situation. And anyone who feels bad for them is an idiot. You shouldn't feel bad for him at all. Next, want to wish a happy birthday, 103 years old, to Sister Jean. 
I had the pleasure of being there covering the tournament when Sister Jean became a story. And then working with Porter Moser, who was on the set with us for one of the rounds after they got knocked out. Um, that situation with Loyola and her with that city and, and all of that is so amazing. She's such a sweetheart and 103 years old, loves the game of basketball, is, is just, I mean, everything right about all the wrong things that we see in the world, like just wash away, looking at Sister Jean, happy birthday, 103. Now let me tell you about wrong things because I promise something on the end of this. I want to give you people dog advice, all right? I got a dog. His name's Charlie. He's going to be 14 in November. So I think he's like 148,000 years old or something like that in dog. I ain't multiplying it by seven right now. My son's doing multiplication. I should ask him. I made a mistake when I got this animal. Not, not getting him. Don't get me wrong. Golden Retriever, love him. Pictures have been all over my social media forever. He's adorable. He's great. My best friend, you know, we do Laverne and Shirley down the street together. It's fantastic. But I made a mistake. Because I'm a sucker and empathetic to humans and animals. I didn't, when he didn't want any dog food anymore.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.